0: LA. Yeah, Los Angeles, California, mate. Yeah, it's 9.30 here, which always always surprises me. Every time I speak to somebody back home, they're like, what time is it there? And I'm like, it's always the same. It's always eight hours. It doesn't change. Stop <laughs> so asking me what time it is. Figure it out yourself.
1: <laughs> I did have to look myself. Like, Yeah, I looked and uh, took a little bit of sorting out with the, the time difference and that, but yeah. Um, yeah. How long have you been out in LA for?
0: I moved here last October. I, I think I was on. Uh, well, for people who don't know, I, I'm an actor, and I was on a on a show for about five years called Emmerdale. Um, and after it, I finished in the. I finished in October, and I about three days later, I just decided to come and do a bit of a recce in in LA um, if, to see if I liked it. So I moved here for a month. Really enjoyed it. Enjoyed my time here, and thought, you know what. Uh, I have lived in a lot of places but never abroad, so why not uh, give it a go over here and you know what it, it's just like Saint Helens but with the sun.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what about in LA is it?
0: I'm in I'm in downtown LA, which is um it's 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 actually um it's in the it's in the center. It's like the business capital, so if if you have no, most people don't know about downtown LA, because, the, you know, everybody thinks LA, they see the Hollywood Hills and whatever, but... Venice Beach? Am,
1: Anywhere near Venice there. Beach,
0: that, no? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm about 10 miles away, which, you know, which isn't bad for, which isn't bad for LA, uh, you know, to be that far away from something. But it's like, I'm in like the financial capital, so it's um, all like skyscrapers and stuff. It looks a bit like Wall Street in New York. That, that's right. the only thing I can really compare it to. A bit like Gotham.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, what's that? What's it like out there at the moment with the uh, COVID epidemic? It's a
0: lot. They t- they took it a lot more seriously o- over here than the UK. I think. Right. I think. I mean, I don't want to make you know any sweeping generalizations, um, but I suppose I am American. I am actually American, by the way. I, I've got uh, an English passport and an American passport. Right. My dad, uh, my granddad was um, in the U.S. Air Force and got uh, based at um, Burton Wood in Warrington. So he moved over here, and then that's how he met my nan and stuff, and my mum was born over here. But, um, yeah, it's people taking that a lot more seriously over here. There was a, I think Americans in general are a bit more paranoid. So, you know, everybody, every, literally everybody has a mask on wherever you go. You're not allowed in a shop if you've not got a mask on, whereas I don't think that was really the case in, in the UK. They locked down a little bit earlier here. The roads were absolutely dead when I first got back. But you can tell... It's changed now. Practically everything's gone back to normal now. I think people have have had enough. That you know, the agenda in the media seems to have changed. It's not every day how many people have died. It's about when are we going to be getting? When are we going to get out of this? And I think it's got to people, and people are thinking, Do you know what? I'm just going to go back to work.
1: I think it's the same in, in the UK. Definitely in the in the northwest, a lot of people are of that mindset now, where it's they've had enough with it. They've they've drawn a line underneath it, and they've started to go on. Obviously the exercise um, guidelines were relaxed and a few people could start going back to work, but it was all very vague. So a few people have just, yeah. the, the general population I think have just thought, right, I've had enough, I'm going to go on. Well,
0: there's only so long it it can last for before people's, like, you know, everybody's out of work and stuff. And, you know, I, I can understand people's frustrations and, and stuff. It's just so sad for the people that have, have been affected and people aren't, you know, you see people who aren't taking it so seriously. Um, and then with our politicians going around, parading around willy-nilly, you know, it's, it's hard to, you've got to lead by example sometimes, haven't you? And exactly,
1: of course, well, if you're in these positions that making you know, all the important decisions, then like you say you've got to lead by example, haven't you? Exactly. Yeah. I know. So um, are, you, are you working out there at the moment or is there anything you could tell us about what you're up to? How do you spend your days? I mean, well,
0: my, de- my days while I've been um, while the pandemic's been going on has, has been pretty uh, pretty dull, to be honest. You know, you wake up and take the dog for a walk and that's about the highlight, really. And then it's just trying to find things to do to stop yourself from going crazy, trying to make sure, you know, you stay on top of healthy eating, get your exercising, because it's just so easy to neglect, those, those kind of things. And it seems so nice. daunting, but once, once you do just 20 minutes of exercise, I'm just like, oh, I don't know why I was feeling so down. <laughs> down anyway but in terms of work like the industry is completely shut down there's there's not been any auditions and I was actually on a job in England I was on a on a it's the industry's changed a little bit now like these it it was a film but it's going on it's going to be like they're going to try and sell it to Netflix or Amazon or Hulu but it's like a TV series but you know the quality on these shows now is just absolutely through the roof. The budgets on these
1: things—Netflix so, is killing it, isn't it? The Netflix model—I don't know what they're doing. That's quite so different, but it's killing it, isn't it? Netflix. I mean, everyone's just it's just so—it's
0: just so—it's I mean. like, so, so—it's so accessible, and you know, it, go, it goes to all all around the world. It, it, it's a clever module, and like how people like Blockbuster and you know, like old video, oh, video shops oh. didn't keep up with that, and like we ahead of the curve. They've really let the—they've really let the ball down there. Oh. Um, but I would, yeah I was on the sod's law I moved to LA and then I started booking jobs back in the UK so I've had to, <laughs> I've uh, I've been out here a year and I had to fly back uh, twice to work you know and I'm, I'm grateful for the work because once you leave a soap opera there's a bit of like stigmatism that you're you're just that one character and yeah like everybody knows you as that character so I'm trying to break break away from from the yeah. show um
1: from we'll get into that a little, little bit later bit. on but is that um, something that creeps up when you've played a character for so long that you need to maybe look at doing new, new characters and new things?
0: It's, it's more that I want to do new, new characters and things. I, I, trained to be an act, I trained to be an actor and I went to drama school for it and I'm used to being different. Uh, I want to I take on different parts and be mm-hmm. different characters and you know push myself and challenge myself to do a new actor. And Emmerdale was great, but there's only so much I, I could... I could once I'd established my character, I couldn't just start doing a different accent or walking differently yeah. <laughs> or anything like that. So uh, you know, I was kind of bound by the rules that the show and I had already made. Yeah, um, so it's just trying to break away from that and not be seen as that as that one character, which which proves. Uh, which can be tricky, but I, I think I'm on the right track. But you never know. That's the difficult thing about uh, being yeah. an actor is there's no clear t- trajectory for mm-hmm. how your career is going to go. Some people blow up, some people don't. Some of the best actors I, I, I've ever worked with was just to infringe theatre in, in London, and we were making no money. And I was watching these lads, and I was like, I just can't believe how talented you are. Yeah, and they just don't get it. They just don't get a looking because it's all about knowing the right people, getting getting exposure and stuff like that. It, yeah. It's it's a it's a
1: tricky one. Is that a different game being on the stage compared to being on the screen?
0: In terms of like having fun with it, you know, the both come with different pressures. You know, when you when you're doing a, a theatre show, you've probably been rehearsing for for six weeks, and right. you, you you know that on the night if it goes wrong, you can do it this way or you can try something different. But with a film you're pretty much expected to have it all the work done by the first by the first time you do a shoot because there's no time for rehearsals anymore. So right. you've really got to do the work before you get there, whereas in theatre you kind of build the work together
1: as a company. Right. So is there in, in theatre is there more scope for and I might have this completely wrong, but can you add a little bit more? Is there more of your creativity I mean, you allowed to come out?
0: Yeah, you definitely get to um, you know, play around with it a little bit more, but I mean it's one of those things people like ad some people like ad libbers, some people don't. And um, I, I quite like it because nothing's really going to throw me out. I've got to be so on the ball that nothing you could say is going to throw me. But some yeah. people are like, well, I've learned the text. And if you're not saying what the, the writer wrote, how am I supposed to know what to come back with? And right. so you, you've, got to, you've got to figure out like, what kind of people you're working with. And then you get idiots like me who like to throw things in to try and put other people off as well and see if you can make them laugh. <laughs> Which is uh, unprofessional of me, but it you know it makes the hours pass by a bit quicker.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, so if we go back to how it all began, because I know you, you grew up in you was born in Saint Helens, wasn't you? You grew up in Saint Helens. Um, yeah. when did you first think I want to become an actor? I want to become a, an entertainer.
0: Um, I think I did my first. I went to Senseeuses, and there was a good uh, a good um acting coach there called Mister Booth. And we've just, you know, we just, just put on shows, you know, every year we do a musical. Uh, I think the first one, well, the first one I ever did was a, was a show called Godspell. And um, they just said, do you want to audition? And I was like, yeah. And I just started singing and everyone was just like, you have a, you have a good voice. And I was like, do I? I, I wouldn't know. Yeah. And then, you know, I suppose you, you get encouraged enough with people telling you that you're actually good at something that you go, oh, I, um, I, do, I do want to do this. And um, I'm dyslexic. And, School had always been a struggle for me. Even at primary school, you know, I was I was always in the bottom set. I had one-to-one tutorage, somebody with me, like trying to keep my attention on the on the page. Mm-hmm. Not that I was naughty, or but I was just disruptive to the class if I wasn't. You know, if if someone wasn't like almost pinching me by the back of the arm, going, "Come on, yeah. concentrate." Um, so I think that at primary school was the first taste of it. Then mm-hmm. you get to high school, and they're putting on bigger shows, and there's the older kids. And I went to audition a couple of times, and I just couldn't bring myself to do it. I thought my friends are going to laugh at me too much. Right. So I remember walking to the audition and seeing people on on the stage singing and dancing, and I was like, "No way am I doing that! I'll I'll, I'll never I'll never live it down." And then two years of wanting wanting to go in into the auditions, I finally started to break away from some lads that I thought, you know. Like I like you, but you're going down. You're going down one path. I think. Yeah. My life. And actually, going back even further than that, my mum had been to a fortune teller when I was four years old, and the fortune teller had told my mum that I was going to be an actor or a director. So oh, you right, don't know right. if you like you hear it. You don't know if hearing that from your mum, you know, kind of like influences you somehow. Yeah, yeah. Influences your choice. Um. But yeah, it was just a very traditional route for an actor: high school plays musicals stuff like that you do you tend to do musicals when you're at school more than plays and then um failed all my GCSEs I didn't uh, got one I got an A star in drama and the rest so it's like college is kind of not really an option I'm not going to be able yeah. to do A levels and um, we left St. Helens my mum moved to Birmingham and then there was this course and they did BTECs and BTECs are much more focused on just one specific subject right. and I found a great one that was um was doing it in drama and I had some amazing teachers who really pushed me and a lot of very um, encouraging saying that you know you could actually make a go of this. That had applied for drama schools and then that's kind of where like I started to take it really seriously then.
1: So when you was younger and and you had that that doubt that um, people might ridicule you or you might might fail at it I mean there must be so many people who maybe want to embrace drama or art or music and have that sense of fear that they're going to get ridiculed they're going to get bullied for it or they're going to fail and it's probably a barrier that stops a lot of people maybe chasing their dreams and and achieving their ambitions isn't it
0: yeah it's', it's it can re- it can really get in your head um and it, and it it hindered me for a long time, and even when I was doing it, that was when it it and sadly it, I got it the worst you know i was i was um I had a high pitched voice I was doing opera. So right. I, I could sing really high. And then, you know, your friends, they're, they're none the wiser, really. They're all just, you know, got mob mentality. And I was, I was being, you know, all, loads of homophobic slurs all yeah. the time because I was doing drama.
1: Anything against the grain, isn't it? I mean, kids are kids, yeah, but anything, anything, anything against the grain, then it's, it's, it's like seen as, wow, what's this, what's this person doing? Especially when, when people are starting
0: to um, tell you how good, like I was starting to get told in class, by other teachers that you know um oh I've heard you're, ama- you're <laughs> amazing in this show and then you, your friends here who aren't doing so amazing because they're not being encouraged or they've not yeah. found what they've at yet and they, they don't like it they're like so why are you getting these? why are you people telling you you're amazing or whatever and it, it's so I, I understand it but then my mum said to me once um, I, I went home and I was like yeah my, my friends keep calling me whatever homophobic slur it was and um, because there's loads of girls in the play and my mum was like so you're hanging around with all the girls and being called gay and your friends are hanging around with all the boys and
1: once
0: she said that I was like yeah I hang around with all the girls don't I yeah
1: that's sweet." yeah <laughs> yeah I mean um, especially like growing up in in a small town in the northwest there is going to be this this pressure to conform on, on young people and not not go and chase something that they're interested in doing. I know when I when was at school, anybody who was sort of interested in drama or music had the same treatment. And yeah, it, it's, it's a bit of tragic how, how many young adults that might have stopped becoming, becoming successful and, and chasing something that they potentially could be really good at.
0: It's a shame because, you know, like St. Helens obviously thrives on, on rugby and mm-hmm. with rugby, you know, it becomes you've got to be big, you've got to be muscly, you've got to be tough. And that, that's so popular. It's just a shame that there's not more outlet because everyone, every one of my friends who used to say something to me at school would call me drama boy, drama queen, whatever. When I've seen them later on and I've been doing all right, everyone's completely changed their tune and been like, yeah. you know, we're so, we're so proud of you for what you've done or you you, you killing it at the minute. And it's just they didn't know any better. And they would have had fun had, had they gone and, and done it. But it's something about finding the right teacher. I had a great teacher at, at, um, in Dallas Al who, who just really encouraged me. And um, it, it just makes, all, it makes all, all, the, all the difference to a kid's yeah. mentality if you've got someone who really believes in you.
1: Definitely. I think, I think it's changed a little bit now as well that with all social media and Instagram, and th- there's different influences now, isn't there? It, it's, it, like back when we so were similar age, I'm a little bit older, but we won't go into that. Um, so when we was at school there was no social media or very little social media so I think yeah. we, was only, we only just had email when we was at school and um, all you had to do all you had was your teachers your sports coaches and your parents whereas now obviously with social media there's a lot more influential people knocking about isn't there you can use as role models
0: yeah there's so many more things on TV that people identify with you know um, yeah it's, it's a tricky one to to know why people don't don't, I don't know why people don't go into it. And I was lucky that I, I hate the word luck, like, because I just don't believe that many people are lucky. I think, you know, it's often brought on by, you know, jumping on an opportunity and being prepared. and and Exactly. That's
1: what they say, isn't it? Opportunity and preparedness.
0: (laughs) Exactly. But how can you ever... Like you don't like. There's no way. How did I know what I wanted to go into? Like, so because I knew when I was like eleven, twelve that I wanted to be an actor. I just had the jump on so many more people who were still, you know, people go into their thirties and they're like, I just don't know what I want to do with my life. Yeah. I I feel like I've got twenty years of experience on on other people. Mm -hmm. Even when I got to drama school, like there were people who were in my year who was like, "Oh, I've never really gone to play before," and I was like. I've been in hundreds of plays already, so that's the only time I ever used the word lucky, Is that knowing what I wanted to do from a very young age?
1: Right. Yeah. So when you was at when you was at drama school, um, do you immediately start to concentrate on one discipline, or did you do a multi? Did you do music, dance, drama, singing? Was there all sorts of things?
0: I mean, my drama school was very specific towards just um, like straight acting. Um, it's kind of like a method acting school. It all want, you know, it wants you to be in character and feel all these emotions all the time. I, and I'm not I, really
1: Daniel Daniel Day Lewis kind of kind of stuff like very
0: yeah. very Marlon Brando Daniel Day Lewis. Oh, right. You know, like proper living the character. You know, you speak in that accent for the next six months if that's what you're doing. But the industry doesn't really work like that, you know. So I went to drama school where it, where it was mainly improvisation, and then you work with the text and stuff. But then when I got into the real world, you say to somebody when you're on a, you know, on, on a film set, it's like, do you want to go and improvise this scene? And they're just like, we haven't got fucking time for this, mate. We've, we've got to get it shot now. So like, it yeah. kind of set, even though my drama school experience was amazing and I met my best friends and stuff, it did set me up for a fall because the industry just doesn't work like that anymore. It's too, right. like it's too um, about getting things done immediately. There's no time to go and rehearse for, uh, for weeks and weeks and weeks. That costs a studio thousands. You have right. really gotta be able to just turn it on. So the old, the old. The of, your, you, yeah. Sorry, sorry, go on, Mike. Sorry. No, I'm just saying, like, you've you've really gotta do the work before you get before you get to the set. Whereas it, like, Coronation Street when it first started, they were doing like two shows a week, and they were rehearsing the the other days. When I got to Emmerdale, it was like we're doing 13 scenes a day, and you get one read through before we go. Okay, we're gonna put the cameras on it now. You've, right. you've got to have done the work in in your own time. There's no there's no time for messing around, really. It's a it's it's a, it's a rapid fire industry.
1: I was going to say, like, it's not like the old cliche of actors were before the scene starts. The actor's got to go away and find the motivation and get into character and then come back twenty minutes later. You've got to be able. I mean, to you, you you
0: you you could you could do that, but still, that's going to be on on the studio's on clock. The clock. You've yeah, got yeah. to you've got to really be be feeling those things before you get there. But some people work differently, you know. I'm I'm one of those people. I can be laughing around, joking to, and, and then seeing, And I'm I'm just I just go into it. it. Some people need to walk walk around listening to music. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's been times when it's been like, oh, I know they want me to cry in this scene, and I I'm just not like a, a i I'm just not a natural cryer. So I'm listening to Radio Radiohead and Coldplay and listening to and thinking about all the bad things that have ever happened to me.
1: Yeah, yeah. I suppose it's like anything, like a. Um, a sporting arena as well when people are ready to go out for the game and perform they need that time to prepare I suppose it's a, it's a similar thing isn't it you need that time to to get into character to prepare your mindset ready to put on this performance
0: yeah I think it's about more about getting the distractions out of your way it's really most things are about focus really it's just right. having your mind on the task at hand and not let not being influenced by other other things and I think that's what an actor is just is kind of good at because when I, I, think in my first three months of um, Emmerdale, my grandma died, um, we, were, we were really, really close. Right. And uh, she'd been very, very supportive of my career. And she died on, on the Sunday. And on the Monday, I had to go into work. And nobody knew. Like, just because it's just like, I just can't bring that to work right now. Yeah. Like, not that I'm not feeling it. It's just like, I've got, I've got to get a job done. So I've got, I've got to shut everything else out and that's really in my opinion what a professional does and I'm not saying if you take time off because of you know you've lost someone that's absolutely fine It hits people in other other ways
1: it was just that I I know my grandma would want me to carry on so that's what that's what we're gonna have to do. There's an element 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 of being able to compartmentalize things and come back to it later like you say have that have that focus or whatever you're doing in that moment, and then come back, and then you can start the grieving process or whatever. But yeah,
0: especially with grief, it you know it doesn't hit you straight away. Anyway, you know it takes. I think it's they say it it's people two years later or something like that. Right. You know? Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, I think that's just what you what you have to. For me, that's what being an actor is. It's about being able to turn it on and focus at the task at hand, and then once mm-hmm. the yell, I don't want to I mean. I do want to work with Daniel Day-Lewis. Don't, don't get me wrong. All oh, like, you know, if, if, they opportunity, if he ever comes back into acting, because he is retired, uh, if it ever came back, I would jump on it. However, you know, do you want to be doing, do you want to be on a job with an actor who genuinely thinks, you know, whatever the part is, like if that actor genuinely thinks he is half man, half dog, and he only barks at you for six months, or you could be working with some lads who are great fun and after, at the end of every day when they yell cut, you're just like, should we go to the pub now? that guy wants I don't want to work with that guy I want to work yeah. with the guys who are fun and you know <laughs> you've got to be around people a lot you've got to you know you don't want to create an awkward atmosphere on, on the set or anything
1: yeah of course do you think that, that focus that you've just spoke about then translates into other things that you do in your life as well
0: absolutely not no I've got I've absolutely got, not <laughs> no no I, I've, I've got my attention span I'm, l- I'm like a deaf Jack Russell just right. like sometimes there's just no calling me back once my attention has gone it, it's absolutely gone and I do I write as well and I think in in the pandemic which has been three months now, I've done about 15 pages just because I write something and then I go what's that is that oh I'll just play some xbox for it or whatever you get distracted <laughs> and you go like I'm not very it's only it's really only acting that I uh and even with acting there's times when you know, I, I can be learning a line and there's something on it in the background and I'm, you know, I've got I've got eyes on that and that. And that's yeah. when the lines don't go in and that's when you start panicking because, you know, the audition's coming up tomorrow and you, you've not given it all the time. Once you start panicking about it, then you're never really in it. <laughs> like, so, yeah. But so, but my back to your question, my attention span is pretty poor. It's only really acting that, that captivates me, which is oh, right. why st- school was such a problem for me. Yeah. And I, it, it made me obnoxious at school because I was like... My math teachers would be like, you know, you've got to concentrate. And I'd be like, who ever wants to use maths? Maths is so boring. <laughs> but two, three years later, I'm in debt with a tax man because I've not done all my sums up properly. Yeah. <laughs>
1: That's another thing as well. Like in in the school days, like some of the teachers, I mean, you said you was fortunate and you had a really good teacher in, in drama and that, but some teachers, I think as well, more back in the day, but they think that kids have to be academic and they have to be good at these maps and, and English and geography and all that, whereas maybe they don't necessarily push kids towards the more creative arts. Well, people don't,
0: pe- before recently, like nobody ever, re- nobody in St. Helens before Johnny Vegas showed up knew, we, did, we had no actors. I mean, we had like yeah. a couple of successful musicians. My dad was actually in a band that, would, that were doing quite well, and you know, yeah, like the Beautiful South and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. There was no real actors, so if you don't know, that you, people can make a living from acting. Why would you ever steer your son into, especially yeah. when you've got, like, everyone's family probably worked at Pilks, and that's how they made the money. And money is the most important thing for putting food on the table. So I can see why people are, like, yeah. kind of shunned away. Suppose it's like similar to
1: I suppose it's similar to video games now and computer games, whereas back so much more, ten, it? 10 years ago, it was like, why are you doing that? You're going to be wasting your time, whereas now there's lucrative... Um, money in there in, in computer games and streaming games and all that. Well, I I, I actually
0: do like I, I go for, I get a bit obsessed with games, so I had to I had to step away from them for a couple of months because like I'll just start thinking about Call of Duty all of the time, right? Like, <laughs> like, and I'll wake up early and I'll be like, I'll go and play. So I have to step away from it. But I watched some kid the other day and he won like three million. He, he won like a competition and he won three he won three million. And oh. I remember um and. Because I, I used to watch a, I, watch a lot of games and stuff like that. And I can go online and I'll just type in Call of Duty and watch like the best plays. And I remember someone saying to me, they were like, oh, why are you such a loser? Why, do you watch, why are you watching people play games? And I'd be like, what are you doing later? And they're like, oh, we're going to go watch the football. You're going watching someone play a game. That's all I'm doing. And this yeah. kid's getting three million for it. And you're going watching, and no offense to, you know, the athletes, but they ain't making three million a game. Or, you know. uh-huh. So it's, it's it's completely opened up. Her, but I do disagree with like, you know, the, 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 some of the social influencing things. I think it is, I mean, who who am I to say, but I do think it is putting, it puts a, a negative, um, view of the world out there for kids who who were online like I watched uh, some Love Island kids the other day and Mm -hmm. it was her 21st birthday and she got like a car and she had these balloons everywhere and like champagne breakfast and I was like and then I've got 20 uh, 21 year old sisters and I was like I don't want them thinking that that's what you're supposed to have at 21 because that's not the real world
1: yeah the creative I, I do social norms aren't there? Like, yeah, I do, so I control? do, ba- I
0: do battle with it. Like, uh, I think social media is a, a, an amazing platform, but I do think mm-hmm. it has like a very negative impact on kids. And, yeah. I, and I've been guilty as, uh, of it as well. You know, I, I follow follow uh, Sonny Bill Williams, um, the rugby league player. Uh, yeah. I don't know if he's still active or something, but you just see pictures of him, and you're like, "That oh, what guys are supposed to look like? I do not look anything <laughs> like that guy." And then you start worrying about yourself. You look at yourself in the mirror, and you're like, "Jesus yeah. Christ, I'm looking so skinny
1: today." I, I did the same thing, the thing a few. Um, I did the same thing a few days ago. There was a, a British sprinter who was doing a, an Instagram workout with Aunt Middleton, and uh, mm-hmm. I can't remember this sprinter's name off the top of my head, but he was he was in good nick, and I was like. Yeah. Totally, like, I didn't do the workout because yeah, yeah. I was totally pissed off that I, I, I didn't look anything like this uh, sprinter.
0: <laughs> it make, 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 makes you feel sick, you know, you, you, you look at Anthony Joshua or, or The Rock um, yeah. and you're just like, Jesus Christ, like, I'll never look like that. And then you hear your girlfriend saying, oh, that Aquaman's fit, or the guy who plays... <laughs> fit. Like, yeah, they're
1: like 6'5". Yeah.
0: I'll, never, I'll <laughs> never be that big. Yeah, yeah.
1: What do they say? A comparison is the thief of joy, innit? so we i mean i've never heard that one but i like it yeah comparison is a thief of joy i don't know who said it i've, I've heard it in some podcast or read it in some book or whatever but um it, it's similar to, to one of the reasons why i set up incremental gains i mean the, the tagline is try and improve on yesterday every day so every day
0: mm-hmm.
1: like by these conversations that we're having you can take like one little bit and use it and implement it in your life and compare and improve yourself on yesterday but not comparing yeah. yourself to other people just it, comparing yourself to how you were yesterday that's kind of the motivation yeah, behind why I've done this
0: yeah it's 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 kind of completely about y- y- your own journey hasn't it and like just being that little bit better than you were yesterday and just knowing yeah. something more eating a bit healthier and just so many little things like that just build up. like if I listen to um a podcast when I wake up when I when I go for a for a dog walk or I read a chapter in a book I feel a little bit smug about it when I turn it off because I'm like now I know more than everyone else <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I'm like yeah I feel a bit better but I feel like, a, like I'm a little bit higher than everyone else because I'm learning yeah. but when, yeah. if I just go in there and I just scroll through my phone and I'm just looking at you know stupid memes or whatever you don't realize but after like after about an hour you're like I could have I been so much better if I just I
1: know you feel kind of you feel dumber
0: don't you? <laughs> You do, you do, and and you don't realize how much time you're actually. Like, my my phone it can tell you, you know, what what you what time you spent on each app. Yeah. And I think there was one week um, I'd spent like 13 hours in a week on Instagram, and I was like, wow, this has, has to go. So once a month,
1: I'll just delete the apps and try and yeah. get a month on and a month off. That's good though that your phone's keeping you accountable, isn't it? It's, it's good that it's making you feel like that.
0: <laughs> yeah, but it just makes you feel guilty, and then you feel even worse, and then you know it's a it's a a negative thing and i I get this like phantom thing now with my phone is whereas like i think it's gone off when it hasn't like so it's like you know i've got it in my hand all the time especially when i had a when i had a podcast or social media or twitter and it's just 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 every reason to be on your phone it takes a real
1: challenge to to lock it away and and step away from it but you feel so much better when you do yeah i know i must admit I've, i've made a it's been difficult because when I've been promoting these podcasts and stuff, that you know, I'm always on there trying to put it out on Facebook and, and post on Instagram. But I have, I am conscious of how much I do use my phone. It's something I'm trying to trying to change. But again, it, it's hard. It's addictive, isn't it? That's what it's it's for. It, it induces all these chemicals, these addictive chemicals in your bodies that you you want your phone there all the time, don't you? Well, it's been
0: a bit of an issue with me and uh, my girlfriend at times because when I wake when I wake up, it's obviously everybody's eight hours ahead. So if I don't, if I wake up at twelve, everyone's having like not that I ever do that, but if I was to wake up late, every everybody's eating the dinner, and then two hours after that, everyone's going to bed. And because I don't, I don't know that many people in in LA. Like, there's a lot of time when I'm when I just don't speak to anyone for a couple of days. Yeah, so I like to get up and have a look at my phone and. My girlfriend will be like, you're always on your phone. I'm like, yeah, but I'm trying to stick, keep in touch with people. And she's like, I can see that you're on Instagram. And you're like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> I, I, went, I went to answer a message. And then before you know it, you just automatically swipe into Yeah. The and then you post your podcast. You want to see what people are saying about it. And then you're looking at the likes. And you think the likes mean something. And oh no. then oh somebody no. says something negative about you. And then it, re- it rests heavy on you. And I, I heard a great quote the other day. And it said, don't take criticism from someone that you would never take advice from and I was like, that is brilliant yeah but it's so it's so easy to get caught up on oh um and that's one one thing that i wanted to talk about actually is that um instagram cr- kind of like ruined um ruins like compliments for me because you know I, when you're on a show like emmerdale hundreds of thousands of people watch it you post a picture of yourself and then you know however many people start com uh, complimenting you yeah. But after a while, you don't even you don't even appreciate it anymore because you're getting you're getting so many. But then one guy will will go like, "Yeah, you're a, you're a skinny rat, though." And then that's all you fixate on, and that yeah. ruins your day. And you want to know what he looks like you know?
1: and <laughs> <laughs> horrible cycle. Yeah, that's the one that takes up all your energy. None of the uh, none of the good flattering appreciative quotes. No,
0: and pe- and people have said it to me before. People like because. Uh, I like, for my sins, I like an argument on Twitter. Who, who doesn't, like, you know, if someone's got something to say, I'm the first one to clap back. <laughs> you go, you're not getting You're not getting away with it. Just because I'm on, on the TV doesn't mean that you can say stuff to me and I'm not yeah. going to respond. And then people are like, but I said that you, your hair looked really nice and you didn't even like the tweet. And I was like, oh, no, shit, why am I... Fo- are you focus
1: on the negative sometimes. Yeah, yeah, constantly. I know it's, it's a funny, like, human trait, isn't it, that we always focus on like the negatives and not necessarily the positives. I don't know why we do it, yeah. whether it's some sort of ingrained in our genes to help survival or something, but we do always focus on the negative.
0: I'd love to get to the bottom of it. Why? Because I'd love to be able to shut that part of my brain <laughs> down and not... But, but that's kind of the, the line of work I'm in. I'm setting myself up for, up for criticism. I think that's why um, somebody was speaking, I think it was George Clooney was speaking about why do actors get paid so much? Because I often think that, like, I've been up for adverts before. Um, mm-hmm. In fact, one, I was doing a short film with a lad, and the lad was up for an advert. And the night before the morning of his shoot, his agent rings him and I went, um, listen, they're going to go a different way. They, they want somebody who doesn't look like you anymore. So um, they're just going to give you the money that they would have paid you for the day. Right. They sent him the wrong the wrong contract, and it was it was for a Twix advert, you know, the chocolate bars. Yeah, uh, to go on a global buyout to go around the cinemas, and it was one hundred and twenty grand for a day's work. And I was like, who came up with that number? If, it's <laughs> like if if you just said thirteen thousand for a day's work, like anybody would go, Nah, no way, not enough. Like, who comes up with these ridiculous numbers? But it's because actors are willing to put themselves out there and open themselves up to criticism. Yeah. which a lot of people are terrified of. A lot of people are terrified of public speaking or people saying negative things about them. Yeah. That's one thing as an actor. It's just like, so when people do say negative things about me or whatever, it's just like, yeah, do you know what? This is this is what I signed up for. It's not nice and I, I, I'm not going to act like it didn't sting a little bit, but it is kind of the nature of the beast.
1: Yeah, I never thought of it that way, to be honest. And it is such a, like a, so vulnerable, you're making yourself so vulnerable, aren't you, in terms of, being there on the screen trying to portray a character or whatever. You're the, most vulnerable. the, biggest, You're the most vulnerable you could be, I think, aren't you?
0: It's the, it's the biggest, um, it's the most popular fear in the world is public speaking. Nobody wants to have to do like a speech at a wedding or something. There's just so much pressure. Yeah. But actors are going out there doing that daily and, and saying, come on. So, and especially now with social media, it's like every, everybody's got an opinion on,
1: on yeah. everything. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that's just, that's just the way it goes. It's interesting. Linking onto that, what I wanted to talk to you about as well was again going back to this. Maybe if you can um, like motivate kids in terms of dealing with failure. As a as an actor, when you when you graduated and you're looking for jobs and stuff, I assume there's there's so many knockbacks before you get your big break. How do you deal with that failure? How do you deal with constantly being knocked back or told you're not you're not fit for this role, you're not fit for that role? How do you cope with that? Um, I suppose.
0: That you've just there's always a reason why you're not getting it. Uh, yeah, and a lot of a lot of the time, when when a, especially for an actor, you didn't get the job usually because you're just not right. It's not that you suck or yeah, anything. So it's not personal
1: whatsoever. It's just it's not, it's, ne- it's never
0: role. it's never personal. It's like you know if if a role comes comes through for me and it said six foot five black guy. I'd just be like, "Well, I I can't I can't do that." There are jobs that you can't do as an actor, yeah. you know. So yeah. you just, you, that's the first thing that you have to do is that it's not your fault for doing it. But then putting up with the repetitive blows of you know when you were close to getting it, like my, the first audition that I did outside the drama school was for Shameless, and they'd um, been stringing us on for weeks, saying it's between you and another lad and um when i didn't get it i was absolutely gutted and you just you, you go away for a couple of days you reset and you just can't remember why you're doing it and, yeah. and how much fun and joy it brings to your life and what's that jim it's a bit it's a bit cliche but jim carey has that i don't know if you've ever seen his speech i think he does it to like harvard or something
1: oh, he well, talks about now. his
0: he talks about his dad his dad was a very was a, an amazing musician and um But he didn't follow his dreams because he wanted, you know, to to make money for his family. So he just got a regular job uh, as an accountant or something or in an office or whatever it was. And he said after 15 years, he he gets fired. But the moral of the story is you can fail at what you don't love doing. So you may as well do what you love and what what makes you happy. Because you're going to fail at everything. Everybody makes mistakes along the way. Yeah. It's just not taking it personally, and yeah. if if you stop after making a just because you made a few mistakes, you're never gonna get it done. So, like, what what's worse, never like never getting it done or failing a few times
1: and then eventually cracking it? Like, I know it's what I'd rather do. Yeah, I think it it comes with um, your, what mindset you've got about like perceived failure, isn't it? If you can use failure as just feedback and use it as a as a mechanism for growth. And it's not failure, is it? It's, you've not failed at something. You've just tried, put yourself out there, and you've learned something. So then you go and apply and it keep, to something else.
0: People overestimate what they can. People is it what people underestimate how how long a year is? Like people think that a year is a long time to be doing something, and it's it's completely it's completely not. You need to be giving yourself twenty years to achieve dreams and yeah. knowing that there will be knockbacks along the way. But if you if you're short sighted and you're thinking well, I want to have this done by by this time, and if it's not by done by then, I'm going to stop doing it. You, you'll just never get it done. You've you've got to go in there knowing that. Well, I'm doing this un- until I get it done. That's the best way of looking at it. Like it's like I'm just not stopping. Yeah.
1: So when did you your big break come? Was it was it Hollyoaks or was it Emmerdale? Was what was um, considered you, you sort of? Was you in how long was you I in Hollyoaks for? I only did a, an
0: episode on Hollyoaks. It, it, was, it was a funny story, really, because I was meant to be doing five episodes and something went wrong on the show and they, uh, they decided not to bring a character back, but we'd filmed my stuff, so it, it kind of didn't make sense. My character just walks in and says, like, oh, I'm going to be sticking around for a bit, and then you never saw the character again. Oh, right. So that was, a knock, that was a knock in itself because I'd been told I was doing five episodes. I'd planned for five episodes worth of money in my head mm-hmm. and then got, got knocked down to one. Um, I don't really know what a big break is I I suppose Emmerdale was my first like consistent major role major role where I had a steady income and I was you know getting um, some kind of exposure but I wasn't really in it for the exposure I was in it to do just just to be able to act and not have to do anything else on the side that's all I ever really wanted I never wanted to be famous because famous wasn't like famous was something that you saw on Magazines and on films, but now fame has got a completely different meaning with social media. Yeah, yeah. Um, I wasn't doing it to be famous, and I didn't know that, you know. And I don't. This is something that I often battle with myself. I don't know if I would have got into it had I known um, mobile phones were going to be around, where people just stick them in your face and be constantly, you know, asking you for. Yeah. Because I don't think that's what fame fame is really. I'd say I was recognisable. You know, people recognise me. Nobody knows my real name, really, unless you're from Saint Helens, where you're seen mm-hmm. in, in the papers or whatever.
1: Um, Sorry, mate, I went off on a tangent there. What were we no, talking? it's all right. No, it's fine. Um, would you say there's a bit there's a uh, there's a kind of pressure then to always be on your game in terms of with the mobiles knocking about and people constantly filming you. Do you feel any pressure having to be on your game all the time and maybe not being something that could be negative in the press or on I mean, money. well, the press,
0: the, the press is a is a weird one. You you like they can print stories about you even if they've got nothing on you oh, in, on you anyway. <laughs> I mean, so I I try and keep a low profile anyway, and um, because you know, I, there's just nothing worse than your, your family seeing you on on the page of a of a new a newspaper or or whatever. Um, but in terms of like being being on, um, being, I always want to be my best version. Anyway, there's just nothing yeah. worse than like. I don't even like being hungover anymore because I just feel like I, I'm just wasting my time, like feeling sorry for myself. So, you know, I, I don't, I'm not like much of a boozer anymore. And it's kind of what you said gonna...
1: before. Sorry, mate. It's kind of what you said before about spending like the first hour of the day on Instagram. It's kind of a similar thing. If you're hungover, you've just wasted half a day or a full day in some circumstances that <sighs> it's not productive Three days it?
0: for me now, mate. <laughs> Three three days of miserableness. Yeah, we were meant to be. Um, me and my mates were meant to be going to Benidorm a couple of weekends ago for a stag do, but it's obviously been cancelled. Yeah. And like,
1: you
0: what do it, the, what the, <laughs> Well, yeah, one of one of the swings in the roundabouts was of, of this whole thing. I was like, at least I don't have to deal with that bloody hangover that I was going to be feeling on the way back from Benidorm. Yeah,
1: that's a that's a week long hangover, that isn't it?
0: <laughs> I know. Um, but being that, I don't feel like I've got to be on the best. I just want to be on the best. Um, yeah. There's just nothing worse. There's just nothing worse than like somebody meeting you for the first time and you are not being able to give them all your attention or being, you know, you yeah. you can't be bothered with it. And what it was, it Joe DiMaggio. Do you know Joe DiMaggio? Is he was a famous like baseball player? Yeah. I think he was married married to Marilyn Monroe. He he was like the best of his year, He was like the Michael Jordan. And um, he's. Somebody says to me, he's like playing until, he's like 40, until he was like 45 or, or some un, unheard of age back then. Yeah, and, he, and like his teammates were saying to him, why are you playing so hard? Like you don't need to, you've already done everything that you can achieve. And, and he said, because uh, somewhere out there is a kid watching who's never seen Joe DiMaggio play and I don't want to let him down from what he's heard. So that's a great way to look nice. at life is that I just don't yeah. want to let anybody down and go like, I mean, people will say it anyway, so it, you know. There's a battle of it. You know, you can meet people and be nice as five, well, and then they'll just, just despite you, they'll be like, "Oh, yeah, you're not know? Yeah, it's yeah. not a knobhead to you. I was so, no- I was so polite and kind. Yeah. Um, I don't know but if you yeah, caught. You really him- I don't
1: know if you caught the Michael Jordan documentary recently. Have you been watching that?
0: I, I'm on episode
1: three. Yeah, the last oh, I like Dance, one. I love it. Yeah. Brilliant. And there's there's certain bits of that were similar to your Jordi DiMaggio story where people were turning up to watch Michael Jordan play in suits because it was a performance and he, he would play regardless because people were paying their money. It might have been the first time they came to see Michael Jordan. So he was playing regardless of whether he was ill, whether he was injured. He just wanted to play because he understood the importance of someone might be seeing him for the first time.
0: Having a, having a competitive edge mentality, I think, is a, is a huge key to, to striving and success having somebody that you want to do better than you don't have to want, want them like I, I want to be better than everybody else but i want everybody else to be amazing yeah. it's not, i don't want them to be doing awful so just so i look good i want them to be doing amazing so i have to be doing even even yeah. better that, yeah. that's an attitude that I, I try and carry around with me I, I get no no joy from seeing anybody struggling mm-hmm. so like, i want everybody to be doing well i think you know and it it's easy for me to think like that though because I've had some I've had some kind of success where like I can understand someone's mentality. Like you, you get it all the time in a small town, don't you? They don't want you to be doing well because they're yeah. not doing well. It's not yeah. it's not really about how what you're doing in life. It's how what they see you doing makes them
1: feel about themselves. It's like the crabs in the bucket, isn't it? The crabble. Yeah, the crabs trying to get out of the bucket. They'll pull you back down. They pull, pull you exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it's a it's a, it's a it's a
0: funny it's a funny mentality, um, and and weirdly enough, Saint Helens is actually the only place where I've ever really had it. As Obviously. well, I, I think you know, the, no no one that I know, but it, it's the only it's the only place that I've been started on. Really, for, you know, for pe- for people not liking me being yeah, there or thinking role, yeah. I'm I'm something betting or, or or you left, you think mm-hmm. you're better than us. It's like that's not the case, mate. So, like I love yeah. I love Saint Helens. It just
1: wasn't providing me the opportunities that I, that I needed. And that, that people who are, who are commenting like that, it's 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 oftentimes a reflection on themselves, isn't it? Maybe they're in a a chic circumstances, or their life is is not turning out the way they thought it would be. So they're projecting that on you, aren't they? And that's often what the person.
0: Yeah. And it and it, 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 it it's a, it's a sad attitude to have. But then again, I've got friends who who haven't done well, but they still wish you to do to do. They still want you to be doing yeah. well. It's just it it's a. I don't know if it comes from nature or nurture why people have that kind of attitude, but you know, I was very lucky. I had a, my, my parents are supportive. My grandparents were very very supportive of me. Everyone yeah. everyone believed in me. So it's easy for me to say, "Oh, just be positive all the time." Because I heard something that said that your your inner monologue, so how you speak to yourself, is how your mum spoke to you as a child. Oh, all right. Was quite calm. She's very logical. Doesn't really doesn't flip out. You know, like something bad can happen, and my mum will be like. I'm going to stop, analyse this, see what the real real problem is, and, I, and I'm a bit like that yeah. as well. So, um, but so it's easy for me to say, "Oh, just be positive all the time." But I've I've had I've had a supportive, you know, uh, yeah.
1: bringing. Yeah, I know it's not easy if you've not got them them support networks around you, and, and people can throw comments saying, oh, "Stay positive, be positive." But it, it's a choice. We have we have a choice, though. Where it's our mindset. We can choose to be negative and down in the dumps. That's all we've got control of, really, is our what is it, our thoughts and our behaviour. So we can choose to be positive in the next moment. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's tricky, isn't it? Because you can't get in somebody else's brain. Because you know, there's lads I went to school with who I would have swore were going to go on to do great things, and then you 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 see on social media that that they're having a bit of a rough time, and you want to you want to say to them like, "Oh, come on, mate! You can you can pull yourself out of this." But if they're not talking to themselves like that. Yeah, then yeah. then they'll they'll it
1: doesn't matter what what I say, r- really. But exactly, I don't know. So, um, what was some of the more you spent? Was it six years on Emmerdale? Is that how long you was on Emmerdale for? I think it was five and a half to six years. Like, because my I got introduced
0: to the show quite slowly o- over six months um, right. before before we just went like like gun-ho-ho, I'm in the show now. I think they were giving me an episode. Like, the producer at the time, Kato, she had the idea for this character, it was based on someone that she knew, but I also think there was an element of, because they do the research on you, you know, like, they're not just oh, giving, right. like, they're giving you that job and then they're going through your social media. When, so they said to me, I was going in for my seventh audition from London to, to Leeds. Um, and I was like, at that point, I was like, seventh auditions, like, what more do I need to do, man? Like, I've, I've shown them everything that I can do. Yeah.
1: Could you talk a little bit about that process for us, Mike, sorry? What is the pro... What, yeah, is, yeah. what, would, what would seven auditions entail?
0: Well, he, going back earlier than that, I had a, a great agent, and I won't, I won't mention anyone's names or anything, I had a, a great agent in London, big, big agency. You know, got, like, Killian Murphy from Peaky Blinders. Right. Um you've got Hugh Jackman, you know, they've got, they've got big people. And I was seen as this bit of a young, like I was like 22 when I signed with them. And, I, um, and it was going great. I, I bought a couple of dramas, Casualty, Hollyoaks, um, Doctors, you know, things like that. So I, I, was, I was starting to build and then whatever, yeah. something happened in the agency and a lot of agents left. And she was like, the agent was like, you're not taking my client. But I also, I can I can't, I don't have the time to give it. Right. Like, an actor needs quite a lot of time. You know, she needs to be on the phone calling casting, di- casting directors. Have you seen this guy? I need you to meet him. But if you've got Hugh Jackman, who's doing Wolverine and X-Men and this, she's not got time to be working on somebody like me. So I got dropped. right I just I was about to go on stage, actually, to help um, a friend out for, for a play that I'd been called in last minute. And just as I was about to go on, my emails pinged and I looked at it and it just said this is a really hard email to write and I went I know what I know what the rest of that email is going to say just got my phone threw it over my shoulder went on stage and messed everything up because I was so in I I wasn't focusing it was kind of rich of me to say like I I can can (laughs) can, can mentalize what what did you say Uh, um no, well, whatever I, you know. I was saying I can focus on this and that. I couldn't. So oh, I was, was on stage. I was yeah. yeah. compartmentalised. That's it. And, and I just couldn't mess everything up because I was just thinking I've just been dropped. I'm an actor now in London with no with no representation. Worst worst position really you can be in for an actor. <laughs> um, and I was I was gutted, and you know, like I I got out of a long term relationship, and you know, I had like I had some like really down time, so I was like, I think I'm gonna have to give up here. I think I'm right. gonna have to move back home. Oh, I'm never gonna be able to afford to stay in London. Um, and then I got angry, and you know, a lot of people often say to me, I think my default ang- emotion to get through things is to get angry with it. Mm. And people are like you don't have to be like that, but. I channel it in, in a way where it's, it's useful to me. I'm angry, but I get to work. I'll go to work, and I just, I wrote that I was, type, my typewriter, typewriter, I old am I? My keyboard on my, my computer. And I just wrote to every agent in London, and I was like, and I was even getting rude with it. Yeah. I am the best actor in London. See me. Just doing anything I can, you know, to make people go, like, well, let's have a look at this guy. Yeah. One agency got back to me. Right. And I mean, that, and that's lucky, you know, the most people go for years and years. I, I got, uh, I got replies within two weeks. Um, but that just shows me like people say, oh, you're lucky to get a response. I was like, no, nah, I think, I don't know if I believe in this, but I feel like the universe was rewarding me. I got to work mm-hmm. and because I got to work, a, an opportunity presented itself.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So so this agency bring me in and they're like, yeah, we, we like you. Um, we we want to we see some of your stuff. So I send them all my, my show reels. And I think I went into the office and they were like, can you do a monologue for us? And I was like, you oh, know, so I just busted out anything I could. <laughs> and then I got signed by them. And the first audition that they got me was Emmerdale. But then my old agent rang me and was like, oh, we've seen something come through. Um, Emmerdale are asking for this, a, break, a sense of breakdown for this character. And we think you'd be amazing for it. And I was like, well, that's great. But, like, two weeks ago, you didn't believe in me. Like, yeah. you dropped me. So, and I said, I've been signed by someone else. Um, and I'm going to have to take the audition with those guys. Because it's, I mean, it would, it would probably be smart to be with you guys. Because you're a massive agency. But now I know that the faith isn't there. And you didn't really think yeah, the I was, was it.
1: was important, yeah. the, the
0: loyalty's gone out. I'll never trust you guys. So I signed with the small, uh, went with the smaller agency. And then, when I was in there, because I was still angry about that, you know, I'd worked with this agency for a long time and we were close, and I would go into the uh, office all the time and I, would, mm-hmm. I was doing it manipulatively. I'd go in on a Friday, take a bottle of wine in, and, you know, just be like, have a great weekend, guys, but well, fucking remember that you're getting this audition. <laughs> yeah, you know, got, you've got to play the game a little bit. Yeah. So I was angry at them, and because I was angry at them, I was like, I am getting this part and they are going to rue the day that they that they dropped me Not that they would notice you know with huge stars like this but you know there's a lot of money that comes in it there's like a twelve and a half percent cut of my wage would be going to them right and for that much work when you're on a soap like you're in the soap the agent doesn't need to do much anymore really than other than your contract so i was determined to get it um and then yes seven auditions later um uh, I'm going to London, I'm going from London to Leeds every time, and they don't pay for your travel, and that's like 120 quid a go, and right. I, was working as, I was working as a teaching assistant in London, and I was only on 70 quid a day, so rent in London, your food in London, your booze in London, you know, the three, the three essentials, essentials—that that yeah, yeah. asking me to go to, to Leeds for 120 quid, you know, it, it's almost one of those, I can't afford to go yeah like i'm just gonna I'm just gonna have to go, but you know you, you have to, I figured it out, and then on my seventh audition they um they took me into a meeting. It was the producer and the casting director and then they just said we've tricked you, we're not auditioning you, we want to give you the part, but we want to see just how much do you actually want this because we've gone through your social media and you are out of control in the things that you say to people or, All right. you know, you, you seem like you've got a bit of a party boy lifestyle that has to, you have to really tone that down or be very careful with it. Once you get in the limelight.
1: Hmm.
0: And uh, I had, I a will, how old was here. you then,
1: Mike on How old are you at this point? 26. Right.
0: You know, I mean, and when I was 26, I thought I was a man, you know, like, and now when I look back, I was like, Jesus, God, I was just a, a young, a young <laughs> Um, who didn't really know what he was doing. And, I, you know, I was retweeting things, you know, by rappers or, you know, that had like bad profanities in there. and they were like, yeah. you can't do this once you're in the line, like you'll upset too many people. You really need to change how the world is going to see you. And that's something about social media. Like I've got my sisters, they often, you know, write things on, you know, on their Facebook statuses. And now I'm just like, oh, it's going to come yeah. back and bite you in the arse. this. That's and the social thing with posted
1: media, it, it, stuff, isn't it? it? never goes away. It'll always be there somewhere, it, won't it? It leaves a
0: footprint of, of, yeah. of your life and it, and it shows, it kind of reveals. I don't believe in cancel culture. Something you said 20 years ago that was acceptable at the time, you know, it shouldn't be held against you now, but I can, like, even, you know, on my Facebook memories, like a status from 2008 will come up and I'll be like, you were an absolute yeah. idiot, like, why know, were you posting stuff
1: like this? But people will be held accountable, weren't there, for stuff that they said 10, 20 years ago.
0: No. Yeah. And it's, it, 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 it's, it's not great. But back to the Emmerdale thing. So I was determined to get it. And w- and once I got it, um, my, just my life absolutely changed. I, I moved to Leeds. So I was out of London. My living expenses went down because rent's obviously cheaper up, up mm-hmm. north. Yeah. My wage went, my wage went up and they, I'd never made that kind of money before. And, it's not an amazing amount of money, I think, for what for the exposure that comes with it. It's still a great wage. It's still an amazing, but it's more about its consistency, which is unheard of for an actor, you know. Yeah. Like, even, like, some of my most successful friends, you know, they might be in, like, two huge dramas a month, but they might only, that's the only two times they got paid that year. And if they did four jobs the year before, they're going to get taxed on the four jobs, but they've got to take it out of these two, of course, two yeah, jobs. Yeah. So it can, it can snowball, and before you know it, you're you calling the bank, and you're like, I need a twenty-five grand loan to just pay the tax off, and then you and then you're in you're back into a system. But with the, with the Emmerdale thing, it, yeah, it was it was a long a long a long process of of um, of being called up, and yeah, just uh, after, after the seventh audition, I, I think I was almost like, I'm not going to do any more, I'm not doing any more auditions for you. There's yeah. nothing more that you can see now. So yeah. they're just trying to test you. And even in the auditions, they're trying to catch. They were trying to catch you out. You know, they were like, "Tell us." Um, I won't say the lads' names because I do remember them. But there were seven lads in my in my fifth audition, and the casting directors just went, "Want you all to tell us a secret that um, nobody else knows." And two lads just go, "Yeah, I've slept with my best friend's girlfriend." And I was like, oh, "Why would you say that in a job interview? You've just you've just shown them that you you're not." you're not trustworthy. Yeah. yeah. You, you had to be on your toes all the time. As soon as you walked through that door, they were analysing you. They wanted they wanted to know how you were going to be, you know, if you, if you were sleazy or whatever kind of attitude you had. They were rapping you all the time. The dog
1: barking. Hey, Ringo! Sorry, mate. Sorry, mate. I'm surprised, I'm surprised my dog's not made an appearance here in the corner. She normally does. So Yeah, he, <laughs> he just wants attention, that's all. Yeah. <laughs> but I suppose that you're going for them them auditions, they've got a brand to protect, haven't they? Whether it's Emmerdale, Hollyoaks, their, oh, yeah. their brand. Not- you're representing their brand. When you're not on the teller, you're in the public eye, you're representing their brand, out there. Just
0: like with football, no player is bigger than the club. If, if a bad, if a player does something bad, they, they have to call you. Like They can't bring the reputation or, of the show down. So I completely understand it. And it's great that they do that because you don't want to be ill-equipped going into something like that, like of of. Some uh, relative amount of fame and and money, because mo- money just can corrupt people just as quickly as, as fame can. You give a twenty one year old like that that amount of money, they, they're gonna they're gonna blow it. They're gonna get themselves in,
1: in all sorts of trouble. So they need to know that yeah. you're with it to make sure that it, you won't you, you stay afloat. Yeah, it's interesting. It's a it's a it's a point of view that I've never really thought about before. But any any sort of young adults watching this who have got aspirations to become an actor or um, on the TV or anything. And they're putting stuff out on Twitter and Instagram now that they think isn't going to have any repercussions from it. If they're looking at that, then that could be the the deciding factor at the end of the day, couldn't
0: it? Well, like Kevin Hart when he got cancelled for the um, for the Oscars, it was like a, a joke he had been making twelve years ago that had like a homophobic yeah. slur in it. Or yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't know. But it, it, all, it all comes back to to bite you in the backside. So you, you really have to have to watch those those kind of things. And I've I, it happened with me at Emmerdale, like the, the more, like they called me into the office a couple of times and were like um you just can't you can't say that and Mm. i won't won't say what it is but they're not even bad but it's just like you are offending somebody somewhere so like so
1: why why bother yeah 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 so how did emmerdale start to to wind up did 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 you decide you wanted to leave or did your character run its course and and then you thought i want to do something else I'd, I'd always, when I got the job,
0: I was like, it's, it's four years. Ringo! Sorry, mate. Be That's quiet, right. please, buddy. <laughs> um, someone's hoovering. We live in apartments and someone's hoovering out, outside. And he just drives him absolutely mad every day we go. Through. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it was I would said I was going to do four years. And then on my fourth year when I was like, I think this is it, they were like, we'd like you to do a big storyline. Um, and I, I was like... Uh, I don't know if it's going to do me any damage to stay here or if it's going to, but um, we decided to go for it because it had never been done. I said I'd stay if you can get me a job that's never been done before. Right. Um, and then they found me a storyline and it was the acid storyline where Ross, my character, had acid yeah. thrown in his face. And um, because it, a, <laughs> I have to go and talk talk to this dog, sort of one second mate. Oh, it's all right. right. But yeah, it's a where were we? Sorry about Emmadale. Yeah, about
1: the acid and the offer you had the job. Yeah, yesterday. so
0: it, it was a it was a funny story actually because Emmerdale and Coronation Street they work quite closely with each other. Being um, and there's uh, the two shows have one main one main boss. Each show has a producer, and then there's like a guy above them. And one of the shows they were looking to do this um, two storylines, and right. one was going to go to either show. And it was the David Platt rape storyline from Coronation Street, which they asked me to do. And I was like, it's, it's a great storyline, but it's been done on TV before. I would really like to do a storyline that's never... Like, male rape, it's not been done often, but it was done on Hollyoaks by Gary Lucy's character.
1: Right.
0: And I was like, I just... I want to um, do something that's never been done. And my producer, Ian, was like, well, we want to do an acid storyline. And that was quite um, a relevant topic. You know, it happened. it was happening quite a lot in in London yeah in um in gang culture and, and stuff like that so I was like let let's go for that storyline um and yeah and that then it, that was that was going to be the exit storyline all, all along and it, it was it was uh, it was a lot it was a lot of work you yeah. know, i think i my like when you when you sign up for soaps, you sign a, a guaranteed amount of episodes you know that you'll definitely do this many episodes a year to make so you know how much you're going to make mm-hmm. you will very often go over um, and this contract that I signed was double the amount of um, episodes that anybody had ever done oh, right. so wow. so I was like I knew that it was going to be a lot of work and I think I was in like four of every five episodes for, yeah. for a year so like it was 7am 7.30pm was just constantly in, in the door no, no rest for the wicked really on that one. What was the reaction like to the uh, Acid storyline? Um it was, I didn't really see too much of it because there aren't actually that many, even though, like, I think there was something like two a week in in in, Lon- in London. Um, I mean, I got, you, it's like with anything, you, every storyline that any soap does, you always get people going, that's not what it's really like. Yeah. We can, we can only do a dramatised version of it. We can't show, like, the ins and outs of things that we're just not allowed to show. Yeah. You know, because we're a, a, post watershed you know so we have to be delicate with it and there were things that i would have liked to have taken a bit deeper and a bit darker and i i would have done things differently with it but i think ultimately we had we had a, a great concept but a few things went wrong like the, the producer left halfway through and a new producer came in so right. to kind of took the eyes off the, off the ball and stuff um you know just because you know when producers are changing over and stuff but they did a great version of it but that's not i i I left because it was just like yeah i don't want to be here for too long before um it's the only thing i'm ever known for i want to try and get get in get out get my exposure up i've had a great year of making like regular money but now it's back to the um not never knowing when i'm going to get paid again
1: yeah is that scary um
0: I mean, not for me. I mean, it's, it's scary because when I was at Emmerdale, you watched the bank balance go up because I'm, I'm very smart with my money. I say smart. I don't invest. I just save, basically. I'm tight as cramp. Don't spend it <laughs> on anything. Um, so, so you know, I've watched, I watched that build up, and now I'm watching it uh, go down again, which is a worry. Yeah. But, you know, it's one of those things that I'm thinking, you, you are investing in yourself, Mike. If you don't do it now, then you, you'll, you'll never do it. And you've you've just got to speculate to accumulate and go like, if I get down to my last 300 quid, I'll know I'll have made, I've, I've made some pretty big uh, mistakes, yeah. but hopefully I get something in between there that just keeps it top up. Well, this is what I signed up for. This is the nature of the beast as an actor. You just don't know what's around the corner. And I yeah. just couldn't, I, I would, uh, I'm not great with routine. I like to change it up every, every couple of years, different scenery, different, you know, different, um, different job and, because yeah. I'd get too stagnant if I was doing the same thing, and I think like being an actor is a big part of my identity. And if I wasn't acting, I'd be unhappy. And then if I was unhappy, I wouldn't be who I am now. So, of course, yeah, yeah. So I want, I want to, I want to carry on being me. And being me is doing what I love.
1: Yeah. Before, um, I know we've we've gone over our our hour that we said, but I wouldn't want to let you go without talking to you a little bit about. I know you're big on kind of charity work and you do a lot for the Steve Prescott Foundation and obviously you've come on here and talked to me today um will you talk a little bit about wh- why you get involved in charity work and stuff and specifically talk about Everest when I mean, you went on the Everest base camp didn't you
0: yeah I did yeah I mean uh, well thank you for your kind words and I but I don't feel like I do a lot for charity it, it's weird, you know you see I don't know if you know him personally you see someone like Martin Blomble my stuff. wife knows him. I
1: don't know him personally, but my wife knows him, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. You just see like every every day it's a slog of like, you know, they're trying to you know, trying to make more money and you see how hard those guys are working and it makes you feel really lazy. It's very inspiring, but it doesn't have make you feel lazy and guilty. Yeah. Um But uh, the reason I got involved with them is because I was at the, the Pride of St. Helens Award guy being invited. I think I was on my first my first year of the show and obviously there's not many people on TV in Saint Helens, so you know I got invited to that. And I'm, I'm sat there with a few guys, and they'd done Kilimanjaro the year before, and I was hearing all about it, and I was like, "That sounds awful. That sounds terrible." The way you guys just described that to me, they were telling me all stories about me, with vomiting and throwing up, and you know losing weight, and a couple of gin and tonics. And I was like, "Oh, you're doing everything. That's Sign me up." And they <laughs> helped me, me to it. Um, and it was, one of, it was one of the best decisions I, I ever made. That um, just, just well, first of all, coming at it from a completely selfish point of view is that I got to see some of the world. So yeah, like if you. But then on building on on that, you know, um, uh, Taylor Prescott was my uh, roommate through that, and you know, doing it with him when we actually got to base camp, uh, he, he, we were exhausted. We were like i think we'd been tracking them for 11 days i got um altitude sickness on day two and every day i was just like vomiting vomiting out the other end as well it, it was it was it was pretty grim And i think i lost something like seven or eight kilograms in like 10 days it just, it just wow. dropped off me and then you know we'd gone to we got to base camp and I was in the first like five people to get there, and everyone else like showed up within an hour or something. And then I just saw this 14 year old boy walking towards me who'd lost his dad. And it almost it didn't, it wasn't about charity anymore. It was about, it was about us all coming together as a group to, to help a young man who, who was, you know, who was grieving about his father. Wow. It, it, it really hit home. And then obviously, the actual charity side, watching you, the money go out to the wood we need the level yeah. and, and who it helps, and the people of St Helen's and food banks and stuff who who really rely on it it's um just, just if you look at it completely selfishly, it just makes you feel good helping helping other people and i, I really I really get a, a kick out of that and um, I suppose that that's why I, I do it really and I've worked with a not a lot i've worked with the the food bank in St. Helens and I had a battle with that with my mum because my mum was like please post it on your social media I'm like you'll get so many more people come and donate food if you tell them that you're going to be there and I was like but I don't want to be that guy who's like yeah. look at me I'm working at the so you know I had the two walls on either, either side tricky, yeah. tricky one and yeah eventually my mum got in my head and he was like so you either drop your ego and it doesn't matter what people think about you and you help more people and I was like well Bloody hell, man. When you put it like that, I'm obviously going to have to do that one, aren't I? Too. <laughs> and then, yeah, you, you just you just go down there and it just you feel so blessed when you see what other people are going through, and you you just you just want to help out. I, it, it's yeah. it's it's
1: it's such a, a funny concept to me that why you wouldn't if you could help people why why you wouldn't? I think it's I think it's tough, especially from my point of view looking now at sort of the local community and that with this COVID epidemic and people being in isolation. The one, the one good thing that has come out of it is people are a lot more aware of maybe the neighbours. Maybe before this you wouldn't really talk to your neighbour that much, whereas now yeah. we know people at the top of the street, we know them at the end of the street, and and we're, we're asking more about our community and our neighbours. I think that's one good thing that has come out of it.
0: Yeah, hopefully it brings everybody. It's such a weird concept, that not it, that in, in England, nobody really, you don't really talk to, to your neighbours, but they're the people who are literally closest to you should something know. go wrong. So you should, you should get to know them, especially in a small town like St. Helens. There's only like a hundred thousand of us, 120 yeah. if you count the Willows. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's not that, that's not that many people, more people follow me on, on social media than that. So,
1: you that's know, no like, we we should, really, like we should yeah.
0: really be, we should really be able to come together and, uh, help everybody else and that's why I, I really rate the, the Steve Prescott Foundation for doing what the campus is and other charities in St. Helens, it's just that I am closer with the, with the SBF. but yeah. you know it, it's, it's, it's a tough side for these charities because especially when, when there is only a 100,000 people that's only 100,000 people that you can go to and ask for and ask yeah, for course. donations and yeah. there might only be 5% of those 100 people that can really, can really afford to it and then you've got to keep going back to them and so it's oh. a tough slide. So those people at the SPF have got so much admiration and people like you doing, doing things like this. It's, um, it's, it's not easy, mate. So congratulations and well done.
1: No, thanks, mate. I appreciate that. Um, it's something I've wanted to do for a while, these podcasts, but we've got the time to do it now. Do you not do yours anymore? Did you say you had a podcast?
0: I had a podcast about the UFC. Like I'm oh, nice. an MMA enthusiast. Like I started training when I was like 18, 19 and I uh, just absolutely love Muay Thai, and I did Jiu Jitsu, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu for a couple of years, and then got bored of not being able to punch people while I was doing <laughs> it, and so I only really concentrate on Muay Thai now. Right. Um, and I mean, like, I did I did some the other day for the first time. I hit pads with a really mate for like the first time in about six months the other day, and like the next day I was like, my hip. I'm getting old. i like my knees are old. So I can't do it anymore. But, but the podcast was amazing. It, you know, it was it was something to throw our time and energy into, but I did it with another actor. And uh, we just felt like we were overexposing ourselves. Right. You know, because we were going live on the podcast, and you're saying we were saying things to be funny, and then it was like, is this going to come back and bite us in the backside mm-hmm. later on? You know, it gets completely taken out of context. It only takes one slip of, one slip of the yeah. tongue these days. To absolutely ruin your your career, and I've seen it happen to other other lads. You know, like like I said, Kevin Hart. He said I think he said something was gay, and then it's just it's just absolutely cancelled. And even though you know, like we we were not trying to offend anybody, it, it, it was it was it was all for fun and our love for the sport just we felt like the more people know about us as actors the harder it is for us to convince you that we're somebody else Yeah, yeah. you know when we're doing our acting so we're like you know let's just delete all this yeah. um, for now and we can always go back to it but the market's saturated it's, uh, podcasting is not an easy it, it's not an easy not everybody can be Joe Rogan and making a 100 million and you know, exactly. the sales I know. I know. I
1: know like people were asking me like why are you doing it What's what's the end goal and I was like well there is no end goal with it. I'm just going to make some interesting motivational speak to these people, and then once they're done, if no more come of it, nothing comes of it. They're just out there for people to listen to, and in the local community or whatever, and they can get what they want from it. It's just a process. It doesn't have to be a, a product.
0: You know what I mean? I, I listen to Oprah's podcast, and it's like my, my girlfriend put me onto it because I, I was, I think, I was battling with anxiety at, at the time. For, what, for whatever reasons, you know, like being away from home or just the nature of this industry, when am I going to work again? Well, I didn't get an audition, I was starting to feel a bit anxious. And she was like, why don't you listen to the Oprah uh, right. podcast? And I was like, even like my ego getting in the way, I was like, Oprah? <laughs> no <laughs> chance. And then I listened to it and now I'm like, I'm so zen. I'm just in the zone and everything's fine. And yeah. it, it, they just make you feel so good listening to positive stories, positive people, you know, yeah. it's... It, it just makes you feel so good and it, it's such a useful way of time hearing about other people's stories you're so much richer for, for hearing these stories after it like i love listening to music i love working out to music but when when i've stopped listening to the music i was like if i'd listen to two chapters of a self-help book in in a in three months i'll have listened to four books yeah and i'll be so much smarter for it rather than listening to the same 50 cent song every time <laughs> that that's how you grow like I'm not a great
1: reader, so listening is how I do most
0: of my, my learning, yeah. really. Yeah.
1: Just briefly, before we go, I wanted to, um, when I was stalking you on Instagram, finding out stuff to yeah. talk about today, uh, I noticed yeah. you did some work with Vinny Shawman. Yeah, some, yeah. Some hypnosis work. What was that like? Um, well, first, out a big, big shout-out to Vinny, because
0: like, we've worked together quite closely, and he's amazing. And he went, when he was on the Joe Rogan podcast, um, I don't really like, when you're an actor, you're around other famous actors, so it's like, I don't really fanboy, you know, because yeah. one, I think it's like, I don't want to, I don't want to mind them, you know, so when I've seen them, it's just like, oh, hello. But like when Korea. he was on the, <laughs> when he was on the Joe Rogan podcast, he was on with me mate Liam as well. Um, Liam's a famous Muay Thai fighter, he's like an eight-time, and Joe Rogan yeah. loves Liam, so they, they went on the. I've seen um, him. I've seen him. Um,
1: some stuff on Facebook with Liam. So, what Liam Harrison? And the sound Harrison, he makes yeah. it's in them tie pads is unbelievable. Yeah,
0: yeah it's like. It sounds, it sounds like a. Well, another funny story, which I'll, which I'll get to. But so when they were on the when they were on the podcast, um, they gave me a shout out. And Joe Rogan looked at the camera and goes, "What's up, Mike?" And I was like, "I've I listened to the first ever. In fact, I used to read Joe Rogan's." um before right. he started his, like, I, I was on it since like day one because i was a massive fan of the U, ufc and then once the once the i was watching the podcast live and the live stream went down i was in the back so I, the, the stream goes down and then liam starts facetiming me and i was like oh my god he's with joe rogan now so i answered the phone and it was joe rogan and i was on the phone to joe rogan while i was naked in the back <laughs> and I, was, I just, I completely gushed, I was like, Joe Rogan, you changed my life, I'm so much smart for watching your podcast, I love you, <laughs> he, he was just like, well, he's this naked guy so talking to me on the phone. <laughs> um, but yeah, the work with Vinny is, is kind of crucial, really, for getting you, it just makes you, you kind I of, don't, I don't know how to, how to put it, it just kind of makes you see the light at the end of the tunnel and right. focus on and shutting out everything else that doesn't really matter in your life and i don't actually know how he's doing it because it is hypnosis you just kind of yeah. sit there and, you, and you're listening to his you know listening to what he's saying and it doesn't work straight away lot most people will will you know they'll be there and they'll come out of it and they'll be like oh i don't feel any different that was shit and it's like yeah mate if it's you know, such it work, work. Yeah. if you put food, if you put nutrients in your body, you don't feel it immediately. You don't eat fruit and go, it's not Popeye <laughs> and spinach. You've know, you yeah. you've got to go away and process it and think on it and rest on it and give it time. And you can't, and most people will just do one session and think, oh, like, why aren't I healed?" Because it's not paracetamol, mate. It doesn't make the pain go away. This is something that you've got to, it's like exercise. You've got to keep working yeah, at yeah, it. It's
1: practicing it, yeah.
0: And so Vin, Vinny's been amazing because I, I, was, I was starting to struggle with anxiety about, um, going out, you know, I'm, I'm a lad, I was, you know, about to turn 30, still liked going out with my friends and having a drink, and I was going into a, a nightclub, especially if it was in St. Helens or Leeds, where, you know, uh, like, smaller towns, even though Leeds a city, you know, it's where Emmerdale's film, sometimes my nights out could be about me being in a bar, Yeah. You know, like, everybody just, you know, wanting to come and get a picture, everyone's having a drink, people are starting to get ruder about it. You see, a people that are starting to queue up now, and it's like oh, I'm just trying to have a drink with me mate. Right, yeah, and, yeah. and then I stopped wanting to go out. I've been walking into bars and going like, I don't think I can do this. Like, it's it's like I'm I'm too i was too anxious about it. I was I was thinking about it too much. So Vinny really, really helped, helped me uh, get get uh, get that out, out out of my system. So I, um, and I speak to Vinny every couple of days. We're, we're really close. He's he's a, he's a good lad loves his USC and his Muay Thai and stuff. So we've got similar interests. But yeah his work that he does with Liam is 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 um it's so it's so um I can't think of the word. it's so um important to um to your own mental health.
1: Yeah definitely. Have you ever competed at but the time Tha- Yeah
0: I had an interclub when I was like nineteen which basically means you put sixteen ounce gloves on, a head guard and shin pads and you just all technique goes out the window, and you, and you see, you see who's the first one to. Play. And even yeah. with a 16-ounce, this is how bad I was. Even with a 16-ounce glove and the other head guard on, I still did like this handbag kind of punch. That when I hit him, it, it like my hand snapped on impact. Yeah. So that you know, I mean, I would have been a professional fighter if it wasn't for that one uh, injury all the <laughs> way back. You know? But uh, the story about me and me and Liam, we were what we watched the Conor McGregor Jose Aldo fight together. Yeah, we were we'd been on the night out, ended up at someone's someone's house, and that was when Connor KO'd Aldo in like 13 seconds. seconds. So yeah. we all went nuts, and then somehow it turned into a punching competition. Yeah. and I was, and Liam was like, right, he wants he wants a whack off me in the stomach, and I was like, I can take a whack off you in the stomach, because Liam's, you know, he's he's only like 63 kilograms, and I'm I'm six foot and weigh about 82. So I was like, oh, it's not going to hit I mean, and I've known Liam for years and I was like, come on, one shot's not going to, can't hurt me that bad. So I just stand there like this and he hits me and you know, I, I played it off like, oh, that, I'm all right. But the piss coming out of, uh, the my blood was, uh, sorry, my piss was coming out with blood Jesus. in it for the next couple of days after that. Yeah, so when you see him hitting those pads, that's like, that's just nothing amazing amazing to, yeah. to the impact that I got that that day. But, um. Yeah, he's he's a terrifying human being, and he's such a nice guy. He's so he's so he's so like like calm and just like oh yeah, you're right, like he, he, there's no yeah. anger in him what, what whatsoever when, when yeah, you're I've around seen, him. It's, it's only good times.
1: Since like I said, some of the the feed comes up on the on Facebook every now and again, and he's he's doing a demo of some sort of technique or whatever, and the the sound he creates on them pads and lights, it's unbelievable. It's ter- I
0: mean, like if you go through his comments now, you'll see like like the rock and stuff or the people commenting on, I don't know if if I'm using him as an example, but you see like these world famous people just loving his absolute dedication and commitment to the sport and how much he like, he gives it to that one, you know, he's got one minute on this video to show, but it's not just that one minute that he's, he's doing like seven or eight rounds of of that. And like, I've held, I've had pads for him and Jordan and uh, it was Jordan was one of his sparring partners and, and he's a five-time world champion himself just in a different way really? and i was holding pads for him and you know I, I held the pads like this and the first kick that he gave me uh, he hit the pads and then i just had, had to keep saying to him like just circle around the ring because i was genuinely thinking he's just snapped both of my forearms <laughs> uh, like that, that's how much those guys guys kick so i can't imagine like
1: those fighters that are actually on the receiving end of his, uh-huh. of his beat downs. Uh-huh. I was watching a, a clip again that came up on Facebook with Liam and it, I didn't appreciate, like I'm into MMA and UFC and I, I like Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and stuff, but I didn't appreciate the grappling elements in Thai boxing when you stood up.
0: Clinching, yeah. Clinch work,
1: yeah. It's unbelievable. I didn't realise there was so much involved. It's another skill in itself, you know, that takes years
0: and years of dedication. That's why I prefer it. over. I mean, who doesn't love like the glory days of watching the big heavyweight bash each other up? But, like Thai boxing is just so much more technical anything that's got more rules to it is going to be the more technical sport yeah but um, yeah it's it's a completely and you, clinching with Liam you, you can't stay on your feet for more than five seconds before he's picking you back up off the ground like, it's, <laughs> it, it, it's, a, it's a frustrating process but yeah there's a lot of work that go, goes into it
1: yeah it taught me something that I was like unbelievable I didn't realise there was that much work involved in the, the clinch in, in Muay Thai but yeah fascinating yeah yeah Listen, Mike. Thanks very much for spending your, your morning talking to to us, and hopefully we'll have a few people listening to this when I post it on YouTube. Um, again, I appreciate your time. Thanks very much. No, my pleasure, mate. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Cheers, Mike. Keep up the good work, mate. All right. Cheers. See you soon. Good luck out in LA. Thank you very much, mate. I appreciate it. Cheers. Have a Take good day, care, mate. <laughs>